The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. From director Laura McGann, The Deepest Breath captures the gripping mix of destiny and danger at the heart of two athletes' undeniable bond. It offers a never-before-seen glimpse into one of the most dangerous sports on the planet. The Daily Beast calls the documentary heart-stopping, expansive, and intimate. Watch The Deepest Breath, now on Netflix. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs. Today, I'm talking to Tom Zimney, director of Sly, about the one and only Sylvester Stallone. Tom Zimney is an Emmy award-winning filmmaker who began his career as an editor on independent films, music videos, and on television, including as an editor on The Wire. As a director, he's collaborated numerous times with Bruce Springsteen, including directing several projects on Springsteen and even directing with him. He's also made films about Elvis Presley and Willie Nelson. Sly had its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival and will be released on Netflix on November 3rd. Sly is the definitive documentary biography of Sylvester Stallone, and as frequently the case, I found myself learning a lot about a subject that I thought I already knew quite a bit about. But there is more to the Sylvester Stallone story, his upbringing, his tumultuous relationship with his father, and his artistic journey, which really is quite impressive when it comes to screenwriting, acting, directing, and producing. Of course, a good deal of time was spent on Rocky and also on Rambo, and it was both not surprising, I guess, but also revelatory to learn how much of Sylvester Stallone himself and his own life went into the creation of those iconic characters and movies. As usual, if you like this interview, please follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend. Also, please follow us on Instagram at TopDocsPod and on X also at TopDocsPod. And now my conversation with Tom Zimney, director of Sly. Tom Zimney, welcome to Top Docs. Thank you. Hi. Good morning. The opening shot of Sly shows Sylvester Stallone standing in a hall with lots of pictures on the wall behind him and in front of him separating Stallone from us is a wall of glass. Presumably he's in his home. We don't know this for sure, but that's the assumption we make. It's a very evocative tableau because it depicts a man alone staring through the glass who appears to be both kind of the master of his surroundings, but also in a kind of suspended animation. Why did you want to start the movie this way? Great question. I, the image of Sly behind this glass in his very large home with photographs on the wall behind him was something I, I would go to all the time in the editing room. I cut this film and sometimes you just return to an image and you don't know why it haunts you. Why do you keep looking at it? I've learned through the process of cutting and being a filmmaker that you don't have to really worry why you're attracted. Just stay in pocket with these images that you keep returning to. That image that opens up the Sly Dock is something I would just look at at times. It happens spontaneously. I was setting up a shot of the house. He was inside his home and he was looking out the window and watching us. And I just said quickly, let's grab it. And like all things that I kind of fall in love with, it was not directed or planned. The gods threw it at us. 
And for me, it was the perfect way to start the film because the house itself is a character. When I make a film, I look at space. I look at it very closely, whether it's Elvis Presley and Graceland or Johnny Cash and his cabin. Space is a part of the soul and an extension of the creative process. So Sly's house quickly became a character for me, both in the office where he has the memorabilia and the statue. The filmography of Sly was represented in that office. So I knew right away I had to film the exteriors and the interiors with an intent to use those elements as characters or accents to the themes that I was chasing. And speaking of space, soon after the movie starts, Sly makes the statement that he's moving his home to stir things up and get his creative juices flowing again. And interestingly, he's moving from the West Coast to the East, which the sort of longstanding American mantra is, you know, to move West, young man. And here we have a counter narrative with this not so young man moving east, which I found quite interesting, not just as a literal fact, but metaphorically as well. And it's also where he grew up. What were your thoughts about this kind of reverse migration as you saw the house being packed up? I think when he was describing the move to me that he was going to the East Coast, I, I realized that he was acknowledging a new journey and that this film was happening at a time where it's not the end. He's not walking away from anything. It's that he is shaking things up. When I started to have interviews with Slide, one of the key things I noticed was that he worked in the space of a bit of chaos and that inspired him to create, whether it's changing his physical body for Rocky or putting himself through extreme stunts, that chaos, which is part of his creative energy, came from childhood where he did grow up in a chaotic and traumatic household. So the idea of the move suddenly made total sense. He's throwing himself in a space that he's challenged. How do I connect where, you know, he's leaving home. The idea and the characters of both Rocky and the Rambo character, and then the real Sylvester Stallone leaving his home, I started to see the connection in all of it. As I was doing these interviews, the move to the East Coast started to symbolize a familiar theme because it's putting yourself in the space that makes you react, challenges you from being comfortable. And that's why I started the film. We're on a journey with him. He's gonna look back, but also he's unpacking mentally and literally, he's unpacking his past and he's also putting himself in that creative zone by not being comfortable. One of the things that I found interesting and I wondered how comfortable it made him feel was the placement of so many statues, models, figurines throughout the house. And we do see them being packed up as he's making this move. And it seems like most of them are depicting some version of Rocky Balboa. At least that was my sense. But we never, I don't think we ever hear a discussion of these things. And I'm just curious if you did talk about this with Sly or how you, as the filmmaker, settled on using them and again as a recurring motif? I think I settled on the visuals in Sly's house that were memorabilia or reflected his filmography because 
I had a sense that he was both proud and much, much more than what those symbols created. I realized that early on in the cutting, I could cut to a, a clip of Rambo or I could cut to the bust that was in his office that's sort of detached from the ideas of celebrity, that's sort of frozen in time in a different way. So I started to use his office and the memorabilia as props and metaphors for accents on the words that he was saying. I wanted the viewer to not get lost in the sea of clips or it to become stylistically a film that was demonstrating through the film's ideas all the time. I wanted to go to the grounded reality of sometimes looking at it as a plastic figurine that represents so much. And at the same time, to get to that place, I had to go deep into his life. If you cut to a plastic statue of Rocky in his office, after you have a sense of his full journey as a child and an actor, everything changes. It's no longer just, oh, that's a cool memorabilia moment in Sly's office. The symbolism of it, I thought, took on a whole different level of understanding his desire to be seen in the world, his conflicts in the world, his joy, and the power he had creating characters that were giving a sense of inspiration, redemption. And Sly gave me the greatest gift, which was he explained to me something that I didn't come into the film understanding, which is the Stallone world and the Stallone characters, the Stallone film world and Stallone film characters. They went beyond his own experiences. They went to a space of people overcoming issues and being able to live in the world with respect, a boxer, you know, finds love. A boxer finds respect, a place in the world. A soldier comes home and finds a place in the world. He ended in Rambo series, literally, the character on the front porch of home. So this gift that Sly gave me was conversation that was truthful to the place that I could look at his full body of work and realize, A, he's not been acknowledged as a filmmaker, B, his life is throughout these films on every level. There's not a film that I can't just unpack and say that feels like it's an element of his childhood. And also just an understanding of how complex his journey still is and how he's still challenging himself. You know, he's not settled. Let's go back to the beginning. When did this project first come together and why did you want to make this film? The project first came together with a phone call by Sly's producer and also a producer that was extremely helpful on the film with me, which was Braden Aftergood. And he called me up and we had an initial conversation where we connected on some of the films that worked on, films on, with Bruce Springsteen, Western Stars, and the doc uh, Elvis the Searcher for HBO, which really tried to tell a story that went beyond celebrity and gave details of a life in this nonlinear fashion that Braden and Sly connected to. So that was the start of the conversation. And the very first time I met Sly, I went to his house with Braden and we just sat and talked. And the moment I got into a conversation with him about one of the films and he mentioned his dad, I realized that this is a film that I could do. It's a story that I could chase. And there was a lot there in his journey as a screenwriter and as a filmmaker and as an artist that just was not told. I realized like Elvis, that certain things become shorthand and get passed on again and again, generation after generation. And Sly 
felt like that to me as a filmmaker, that it was a story that was not explored. It was a story that was not told. So from that conversation, I started to do the research, but keep open to the idea that things were going to be thrown at me. But I had no idea that Sly was going to give me the story that we ended up having. I couldn't dream up this film. I wouldn't let myself go that far. You never imagine, oh, I have six hours of just time with him to unpack things in a rhythmic and musical conversation that not only explores his past, but explains a lot of things that are missing in understanding him as a man and as an artist and as a family man. You don't want to go that far with your hopes and dreams. He gave me the greatest gift, and that was time and trust. You mentioned Bruce Springsteen, and you've made a number of films about and with Springsteen. And I didn't know that until after the fact when I read your bio, which is interesting because as I was watching Sly, there were several times when I vocalized the words Bruce Springsteen. Um, And, you know, ironically, I never really put these two working class heroes, great artists together until I watched your movie, which probably seems like a no brainer to most people, but I just never did. And maybe, you know, it's the fact that one is sort of Hell's Kitchen, New York, and one is Jersey Shore. I don't know. But how did your experience working with Bruce resonate with Sly's story as you were making this film? One of the things that I I learned in the past, I'm, I'm almost coming on 25 years now with Bruce, and the gifts that he's given me in the experience of making films is to really chase things that you don't know exactly why you're looking at them and chase things that just interest you. Because as I say, the film gods will throw things at you that might not make sense in the moment, but you stay true to your connection. And also the side of understanding a work ethic. I mean, with Bruce, I made a film called The Promise, Darkness on Edge of Town. And I also made a film on the album Born to Run. Those documentaries were really, really inspirational because it demonstrated very similar to what Sylvester Stallone has as a screenwriter, a filmmaker, a work ethic where you chase a tone and they both write in a notebook the script or for Bruce, it was lyrics. And it's page after page. The dialogue of Rocky I saw of Sly reminded me of the same thing of Bruce writing page after page, the lyrics of Born to Run, where you're not just settling in on this is okay. You're searching for that moment of realizing in time, this is great. This is getting at everything I want to get across. This is getting across the tone. This is getting across the characters. And that work also can sometimes define you in a way that the world wants to lock you in. For example, Born to Run being a success. There is no Born to Run 2 with Bruce Springsteen. And in many ways, there is no Rocky after the initial Rocky. It continues to grow and go in different directions, both filmically and in with the narrative, not relying on your initial success that brings you out into the world to box you in as an artist. That theme was in a lot of the film work that I did with Bruce and and was also obviously in the doc with Sly. So the work ethic and also the hunger to create and not be stereotyped into one particular genre was something I recognize in both of the artists. Another similarity is, to some extent, is fathers, right? So Springsteen has written about, you know, made songs about, talked about his 
strained relationship with his father. And, you know, you spend a good deal of time in the movie with Sly with him talking about his father and what a difficult man his father was, a violent man. That, to me, was one of the most revelatory aspects of Sly was just learning about the family dynamic and how just thoroughly painful that was for Sly and his brother and everyone in that house. We won't necessarily have time to talk about the polo playing incidents, but those are certainly incredibly telling incidents that happened at different points in Sly's life. So my question is just, were these conversations with Sly about his father the key to kind of unlocking who he is, who he was, who he became, and how this informed these iconic characters of Rocky and Rambo, for instance? Well, father and son relationship is something that's been a theme in almost all the films I've been working on. And it's happened unconsciously. If I start with Elvis, his father went to prison as a child and he became the man of the household and his relationship with his mother. Really important part. Johnny Cash, he loses his brother, has a very strained relationship with his father. Then he gets to the place of making a film on Willie Nelson. Parents abandon it. What I find in obviously the work of Bruce Springsteen, he's discussed a lot about his relationship with his father. And I did a film, Springsteen on Broadway, where there was a whole section about that. When I came to the space of Sly, I had no idea that this theme would once again appear. And, you know, it gave me a space to walk into, but also because it's a theme that I am very interested in. And it's something that I connect to because with Sly, I started to look at all of his work differently. And the very first interview I had with him, he referenced that his father could be like Rocky at times where he wouldn't stand still. And that was my clue that he was carrying his father with him in all of the work. And I just needed to look at that closely and in conversation, organically figure out who this man was. There was a very violent and, and traumatic story about them playing polo together. The whole father-son connection with that sport, but also that story happened over a span of six interviews. And it was something that we slowly came to and unpacked. This is a theme that I don't know why it's ended up in my life, but it's a theme that I personally am interested in. And I also feel like that all these artists create a world that overcomes some of those difficulties. You know, Willie Nelson created beautiful music and the, the idea of Willie Nelson and, and family, that's the name of the band. They all create a space that gives us this sense of inspiration. It's Bruce with his music and lyrics. So for me, it's not unpacking the details of the lost relationship between a father and son. It's also getting to the space of showing how the work is a healing force, whether it be music, film, and also how their initial connections as children saved their life. That things were formed early on. Elvis heard R&B on the radio. Bruce heard AM radio. That was a messenger. It was sending a signal. That was a messenger that was sending a, a message that there was something else out in the world outside of their childhood. And with Sly, it was cinema. It was escaping to films as a child. So there were similarities in some of these stories that I recognize as survival techniques for a traumatic childhood. Some of them are in my own life. Some of them are in these artists' life. For me, I just felt like it was a blessing that I had this doorway to walk in and explore the art, the man, and the complexities. 
clearly the stories of Rocky Balboa and Sylvester Stallone are deeply connected. Sly was a starving artist, a struggling actor, whose last shot at making it was to sit down in a kind of fever dream, you know, write the Rocky script, which, of course, was heavily edited by Sly after that. So it wasn't just he spit out the script and it was done. Rocky's a down and out guy, basically a loser who gets a break. He gets a shot at redemption and makes the most of his opportunity. It seems like audiences were ready to make this connection between the actor, the writer, and the character, but Hollywood really wanted no part of Sylvester Stallone as an actor for this part. And yet they were really drawn to this script. And there was like a bidding war for it. Whatever was being offered to him, that price kept going up. And I just found that really interesting because it's not like this was the golden age of boxing movies. You know, why do you think there was this disconnect on the part of Hollywood between the creator and the actor wanting the actor, the man to play the role, and what clearly audiences were going to get almost instinctively? You know, I look back at the idea of anyone else saying those lines, and it seems incredible. I can't even consider it. The rhythm of those lines and Sly's delivery, but also the, his eyes carry so much of that character. I don't know why at the time Hollywood worked so hard to reject him that way, but I also think about the idea of where, where's the hero in film at that point? It's an anti-hero moment of cinema in some ways. It's a place where we're not embracing this idea of Sly finding himself that way without it being a person who is physically a movie star. So that's why they would go for Ryan O'Neill or Burt Reynolds. What I love about Rocky is that it goes back to that place of a little bit more of a classic Hollywood hero ending, but it doesn't rely on him actually winning. It's just the notion of finding a place in the world they worked very hard to restrict him in wanting to take the role. And I love that he was broke and he had the determination to stay true to his character and his soul, not giving this film up, not giving it to another writer, not taking the money. You know, so many times the Rocky narrative and the slide real life story would just overlap in these ways that you couldn't believe. And also what happened with the interviews is I started to realize that it's not a Rocky franchise. Each one of those Rocky films was Sly exploring what he's going through in the moment. Like Rocky II definitely took on the impact it, his life had with celebrity and him processing it. And Quentin Tarantino's interview in the doc, I think, really explained that and unpacked it in a beautiful way. But I think Hollywood had a really hard time of taking on this idea that he could have that level of narrative I think they wanted somebody much more glamorous to carry on that role of a hero. You mentioned Quentin Tarantino, and I wanted to ask you, you have this sort of cast of characters in terms of people you interviewed about Sly, and Tarantino is one of them. It's interesting to hear him talk about that distance between the character that Sylvester Stallone played in The Lords of Flatbush and Rocky Tarantino in that very Tarantino-esque way, just saying like, what? <laughs> it's the same guy? How's that? I think what Quentin Tarantino 
gave me in the film and his interview was a great gift because he could explain not only the filmography and the details of Sly, the filmmaker, but he could also take us to a place of understanding Sly before he was a major celebrity and really unpack the Lords of Flatbush in a way that told you about the power of Sly's performance in that film, but also the surprise that he was being you know, deemed the next Brando. As a filmmaker, he helped me tremendously, and I'm really grateful to him because he set up the celebrity trajectory that Sly had and how intense and how massive it was that Rocky was as a success and how hard it was for Sly to try to live past some of those expectations. And it was a big surprise that if you knew Lords of Flatbush and then all of a sudden radio ads are describing Sly as the next Brando, that was a leap for the people who just saw him as this thug character actor. Obviously, there was a lot more there, but at the time, it, the expectations really were high. And I loved how he took on those challenges as a filmmaker and as a person. And part of the doc explores how he dealt with some of those pressures and not always in the most successful way. He fought critics and he pushed himself in areas of film that maybe he didn't have to. But his true desire not to be boxed in and labeled into one genre would come up again and again in his career. Rocky really was a phenomenon. And as I indicated before, it really resonated, I think, deeply with audiences. It was the number one box office film of the year. And I remember just as a young teenager watching the Academy Awards in 1977, sitting in the living room with my family watching, and we were rooting for Rocky to win everything and Sylvester Stallone specifically to win. I have a vivid memory of the film winning Best Picture, but Sylvester Stallone not winning as Best Actor or Screenwriter and just feeling really like we were robbed. I even remember him being brought up on stage when the Best Picture was announced, and at least that was some measure of compensation. But it really felt like we were being cheated in that moment, just because that movie just... It's a movie you didn't just like or love, but you cheered for it. I love those details. I hear it again and again, how that initial connection to that film changed lives. In the doc, Tarantino describes how people literally stand up during the fight in the Rocky first Rocky film. I, I love how he engaged an audience, and I, I love how he kept returning to this, this idea of hope. It, it, it would come up all throughout the interviews. And I knew it was a theme that I had to place within the edit and really just unpack and explain because the Rocky film, especially so many people talk about it as part of their DNA, as part of their growing up experience. So when Hollywood didn't really acknowledge it, it, it was a shock to a lot of people. I do remember looking at archival footage of the awards and going through and his story as a filmmaker, it's amazing that he got that far on his first scripted feature. But in some ways, it made total sense, too. And also the idea of being the underdog is a, a constant theme in his life. So him not getting the Oscar kind of fit because he ends up taking that energy and becoming one of the top filmmakers. It's an energy that he's used to, rejection. It's his fuel. And he says that in the doc. Let's talk about Rambo. Obviously, in terms of just sheer quantity, the Rocky movies and the Rambo movies take up a huge 
amount of space in Sylvester Stallone's filmography. There have been five Rambo movies, I think, so far, starting with First Blood, going all the way to Last Blood in 2019. It's interesting, you know, in looking this up, just to see how First Blood didn't do nearly as well at the box office as Rambo First Blood 2, which was a huge hit. And it's also the movie where Rambo returns to Vietnam. He's a Vietnam vet himself, and he's sent on a mission to save POWs in Vietnam. That's the movie that really hit hardest among the Rambo movies with audiences. And I was just surprised to learn how much research Sly did into vets, Vietnam vets, and specifically PTSD. And that really is something that I think was not a huge issue at the time. And it just really hit home that research and really identifying with these characters has always been a huge part of Sylvester Stallone's process. Before I started the film, I think I was guilty of the shorthand knowledge, the short version knowledge of Sly as a filmmaker. I didn't grasp that he was at that level of doing the research, studying character, getting the details right. Every one of the discussions of the Rambo films, he would talk about the details of location or what he was trying to bring the character, what arc the character was having. So when you look at Rambo, especially, it's the return to home or finding a place in the world. And in, and he summed it up in the documentary where he, he said those two characters have been so important in his life because they both hold these extremes. Rocky's completely forgiving and just loves people for what they are, his brother and the manager or whatever the expectations are thrown at him. And the Rambo character trying to find peace in the world and a sense of home. The second Rambo that you reference, that theme is just so apparent and so there that he's going to be this father figure coming in, rescuing these guys, bringing them back to their families. But also he's going to end up in the film walking off alone in the world. That was a theme that made total sense to me when I unpacked the details of his childhood. You could not look at those films the same. He gave me that gift as a filmmaker to explore how Rocky and Rambo both were interacting with his processing of his own life, but also fueling of creativity and, and, and also creating a, a sense of healing, I think, for himself and, and the world, because everyone turns to those characters and, and has watched them grow older in time. He said something beautiful in the doc, which is that he would love to watch the Rocky film from the beginning, first Rocky to the very last, because you see all of life. And by the end, when you're losing Adrian and he's sitting in, as the Rambo character on a porch, finally home, you realize that he took these characters on this arc that they fully explored the ideas of family, relationship, love in the world, and a place in the world. They're not franchises. They're, they're these little explorations that he had as a filmmaker. They are. And you talk about hope in the work, but also there's quite a bit, I think, in there about bereavement and dying and coming to grips with those darker themes. Absolutely. The, the themes of acknowledging the powerlessness of life itself, that it's going to throw at you, you know, all the speeches have this awareness of time and people 
and the characters like Mickey or Adrian being gone. And there is an empty space that you must try to live with every day. You cannot fill. When it comes to the place of Adrian being gone, he wants to replace the pain of this heartache with a physical pain. Why was that that important to include in the documentary? Sly himself talks about his childhood and physical pain, but then Sly the adult talks about pushing himself as an actor in stunts with physical pain. I saw a connection that part of the unpacking of the, the Stallone films was an acknowledgement that life throws you things that you can't control, and part of it is physical pain. That was a theme that was in all the Rocky and Rambo. Those working out motifs especially demonstrated this idea that there was a sense of redemption by surviving. You do the workout, you win the fight, or you win the respect. You battle in the jungle these characters and you bring home the soldiers. You walk through that pain. So the characters, as they get older, have to walk through pain that goes beyond the physical, but goes into the space of the emotional. And Adrian's loss, Mickey's loss, that was Sly demonstrating to me a narrative arc in those franchises that really reflected a truth to the characters. And you would grow old with them. You would grow old in a space that reflected a real life. People lost the Rocky character, loses his money, his wealth, his power. He loses his wife. The tragedies of those lives are explored in those sequels with a detail that let you live with the character. You recognize yourself as a viewer. You recognize your own losses, your own pain. And the character again and again leans towards the simple idea of hope, hope, redemption, and the possibility of another day where things could change. That kept coming back again and again. Related to this idea of hope and what may lie ahead, what do you think we could expect to see from Sylvester Stallone in the future? Because this seems an artist who's not done creating. He has more to say. He has more to do. What would you expect to see or hope to see from Sylvester Stallone in the future? What I hope to see from Sylvester Stallone in the future is what he demonstrated for me in this documentary, which is, and I think it's a given in some ways, which is, this is a man who's hungry to create, hungry to explore. And I love that he takes on all these challenges, whether it's another scripted film or a TV series. I, I love how he's a Renaissance artist, always looking at the past and the present in these magical moments of, of film and giving us characters that fall back on a theme that is really needed and powerful, which is redemption and hope. So I just see that he's not going to stop. And I just think that he is a creative force. And I, I hope I can carry this film with me forever and it can inspire me, but also I can witness Sly doing that magic trick again, which is creating a, a new story that I can look at, step into with my own life, be inspired and feel like that's the man I recognize from Rocky. That's the man I recognize in all the other chapters and take away something that changes my life. So I hope he just keeps creating and I look forward to seeing what he's gonna do next. Tom, you said earlier in the interview that when you first were talking with Sylvester Stallone, you realized this is a story you could chase. And I would just say, not only did you chase the story, but you caught a lot of it as well. Oh, and did you. so 
beautifully and, and in a way that I think gives us a fresh look, a deeper look at the artist, the man, and the body of work. Thank you so much for giving us that with Sly and being with us today. It's great. Thank you. Do you have a hidden gem, a documentary that you think maybe doesn't get the attention it deserves? It's out there now. and It's The YouTube Effect by Alex Winter. It's brilliant. He's an amazing filmmaker. This subject and his style it inspires me, but it's also a film that I'm just telling everyone about. It's an amazing documentary that traces the whole history of YouTube. But like all Alex's docs, it goes a lot deeper. And I've known him for years as a filmmaker. He's a friend. I always find his films really to just cover a chapter of things in our world that we're not thinking about. Mm-hmm.